open with a word of prayer. God, we come before you this morning, and we thank you so much for the truth. We thank you for your faithfulness to your promises. Our Savior, as we were just saying about that our hope is in Jesus Christ, and it's the work that he has accomplished on the cross, that he has paid it all, that we are weak and sinful and cannot accomplish any good on our own. And so we rejoice this morning in the truth of what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. And, and so in light of redemption, we come here this morning and we ask that you would again be faithful to your word, that your word would go out with power and not return void, and that your spirit would powerfully work through the word this morning in our lives, our hearts, to change and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. And so thank you again the cross for redeeming us, for your grace and mercy poured out in Jesus Christ. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning we are going to be looking at the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah um, in the Old Testament in the, the minor prophets, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. We're going to turn to book of Jonah. Are we all familiar with the book of Jonah? If not, I might read through the whole story of Jonah. Um, let's read through it. Uh, Jonah, verse one, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, to that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. For the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was also a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid cried out to his own God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what, are, what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, What is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had taken the city. Then he said to them, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea had grown more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. 
For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Then the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they bowed. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet shall I again look upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed over me forever. Yet you brought me up, bought me my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed to pay, about I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it a message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let men and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this what I said when I was yet in my country? That this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, Merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, 
and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it, sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This morning, we're going to look at chapter 1. Um, the book of Jonah, as we just read, is can be broken up into a few different sections, which follow approximately with the chapter division. We saw in chapter 1 and chapter 3 that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah through his major division. Divisions there are two minor breaks. The first one is um, the Lord talking to Jonah and him getting on the boat, and then he is in the belly of the whale, and then he gets out of the belly of the whale. He then in chapter 3, he speaks to Nineveh. And then chapter 4, we have God stopping all this Jonah over and over. And so as I was studying um, the book, my ambition was to preach through the whole thing and give an overview of the entire book and kind of give some tools for us to study in the future. But um, as I began to study, I realized that was a little too ambitious um, of a task. So this morning we're going to look at chapter 1 and kind of give you a little background and basis for the book of Jonah, and hopefully that you can take some of the thoughts from the from chapter 1 and carry them through in, the rest, in studying the rest of the book. Um, and so before we begin, I just want to point out that the book of Jonah um, is most likely written for children. There's lots of creative words in the book. Uh, you saw in the first chapter that the world hurl is in there numerous times. Um, there's some other nuances throughout the book that imply that this was written. It's easy in Hebrew to understand. It was written for, for young people and children to understand. But like many children's works, there is great depth to the, the writings of, of a movie that goes written for children but adult meaning behind it. Uh, and as I began to study the book of Jonah, there's such rich um, intertextual things. There's there's quotations all throughout the book that, if, that as you look, that you can see references to other Old Testament passages and they're quoted in the New Testament. And there's just an interweaving 
in, in this very short book of the book of Jonah, and as you, as you study it, it's almost, I've heard it described as the book of John. John's easy to understand, but once you dive in, there's rich theology in there, and you can dig deep for a very long time. And I found that to be the case with the book of Jonah, and so we're just going to touch on a few things this morning, and hopefully, um, again, whet your appetite to continue studying in this book this, um, as, we, as we go from here. So let's start. Book of Jonah, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's important for us to recognize that the theme for the book of Jonah is that God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his promises, and God makes his promises in his word. And so the word of the Lord, we need to pause and stop and think, what is the word of the Lord? Before we begin, we just want to want to stop and recognize before we even see what the word of the Lord was that came to Jonah. I want to remind us of a few different promises. As the book of Jonah is all about God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness to his covenant. As if you read ahead to chapter 4, verse 2, it says, God, you are slow to compassion, merciful, abounding in steadfast love, which is actually quoted from the book of Exodus. And we wanna, I want to recognize that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And as we look at the life of Jonah, he is by far not stellar. There are many failures, and there's a lot we can learn from him this morning. But at the same time, there is an actor beyond Jonah who is God throughout the entire book. He is making things happen in spite of Jonah, and he is working it. And God is a, a promise-keeping, promise-making, and a promise-keeping God. And I want to remind us of three different promises as we, as we jump in. Um, the first promise, which will be your background for the whole scripture, is Genesis 3.15. In the book of Genesis, opening up, I know we go here a lot, is that Adam and Eve sinned and fell. And then as they were kicked out of the garden, God promised that a redeemer would come and rescue his people. And throughout the old, whole Old Testament, the, the people were looking for this redeemer. And it wasn't until the New Testament that Christ came and fulfilled that promise. But in the Old Testament, there are pictures and illustrations looking forward to Jesus Christ. So this morning, keep that in the back of your mind as we come closer to the end of the message this morning. We're going to come back to this thought of, of our, our need for our Redeemer and the, the Christological, the, the Christ meaning throughout the whole Old Testament. We're going to come back to that. Um, the second background for the book of Jonah is the promise that God made to Abraham. Uh, we looked at briefly at that a few weeks ago when, when, I, when I preached. Um, and at the end of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, in you, in, in Israel, in Abraham's descendants, all of the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. And so here we have Jonah, and, and God has called Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites. Um, and Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and I know that Steve has talked about Assyria as being one of the horrible oppressors to Israel. And here Jonah was called to go and preach the gospel to his enemies. Um, and something that Jonah failed to, to, to remember is that God had promised that in him, all of the nations, all of the families of the earth. Um, 
and so we'll come back to that in a little bit as well. But just keep the first promise, Genesis 3.15, the second promise, Genesis 12. And the third one is the what we call the enigma of the whole Old Testament that that is repeated in verse four or chapter four, verse two, which again says, I know that you are a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And that that's the enigma of the whole Old Testament is because God is a holy God who cannot cannot be with sin and yet we are, are sinful people. So how in the world can can God be holy and yet be merciful? And the, and the Old Testament is working out this idea of God's mercy, God coming down to be with us, God promising a redeemer to rescue us from our sins. And so I just want to give us a little background to remind us of some promises before we jump into the text. And, and one more thing before we jump in, I just want to ask a few questions. <coughs> to kind of get our, get our thoughts going for this morning of, of this book of Jonah before we start to actually jump in and, and deal with the text it apart and kind of look at some key phrases and words. A uh, few questions. How did you respond to the word of the Lord? This morning we're going to be looking at Jonah and how he responded, and hopefully as we examine our lives against scripture, we'll, we'll see our own response to the word of the Lord. You know, we don't, like jo- unlike Jonah, we don't hear God's audible voice. But we have his word in scripture. We have what he has told us. And so how do you respond to, to the Bible? Does your life conform to the truth of scripture? Does your life reflect knowing the truth of scripture? Do you pursue knowing God, knowing what he said? Next question. God, that God is faithful to his promises? Do you believe that God is faithful to his promises? And does God's faithfulness move you to worship? Does it move you to serve him? Does your knowledge of, of his character, that he is slow to anger in your life, that he is merciful, does that drive you to worship? Do your actions and your heart and your mind conform to Scripture as God has revealed himself to you? What's your response to the Scripture? So let's jump into the text. Jonah 1, verse 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for its evil has come up before me. So the first thing we see is that God called Jonah. And God said this, this key word, arise. We'll see this word throughout the, this first chapter. Arise. God says, arise. Go to Nineveh. Go preach because their evil has come up against me. And what does Jonah do? But Jonah arose. Oh, great. Jonah arose. God told him to rise, and Jonah arose. But wait. Jonah arose, not to go to Nineveh, but to flee to Tarshish, 
And more importantly than fleeing from Tarshish, or fleeing to Tarshish, he fled from the presence of the Lord. You see, Jonah's response to the word of the Lord, which came to him, was not very positive. God said, go do this. And Jonah's like, I'm going to do this. Jonah says, God, I, I know you I know you, you said th- this, but I think I have a better way. I think I know better than you, God. Or, or even God says, go preach to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, God, I, I know you're, you're faithful to your promises, and I know you're, you're merciful, and you're slow to anger. But you know what? I'm going to decide who gets to be judged because they're pretty wicked people. And so I'm going to be judged. And you see, in Jonah's response, what he is doing is, in fact, one, refusing to obey God. But two, in his disobedience to the word of God, he is, in fact, declaring himself to be on God's own. He says, God, you're not right. I know what I should be doing. I know who needs to be judged. And so God said, arise, and Jonah rose to flee. And this fleeing is away from the presence of the Lord. See, God told him to go one direction, and Jonah goes the opposite. He's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. I don't want us to dismiss Jonah for not understanding that God was omnipresent, that God was everywhere at all times, because I think that Jonah knew that he couldn't escape God. But what he was trying to do revealed that Jonah didn't really understand, because Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of God. And I I don't think this was a physical trying to get away from Jerusalem where the country was, although he certainly was headed in the opposite direction. I think what Jonah was, was doing was Hardening his heart. You see, his actions revealed his heart. And Jonah's heart is the issue because he knew the truth. He knew that God was faithful. He knew that God would change. But he thought that he had a better way. And so Jonah was trying to be God, and in trying to be God, he he fled from God. So as we think about what Jonah had, had done, How often, like Jonah, do we base our decisions and our views and our desires, or base our decisions upon our desires and our views, as opposed to Scripture? Here Jonah is, the word of the Lord said to him, and he based his decision based upon what he felt could could happen, based upon what he thought should happen. And I just want us to pause and think, how, how often do we do that? We base our decisions upon how we're feeling that morning because we didn't get enough sleep or because we're hungry. Rather than driving us back to the truth of God and trusting in his promises, trusting for him, for strength, and his grace, and instead we respond in frustration and anger because like Jonah, we're, we're, not, we're not trusting in, in God's promises. 
not trusting in the truth of what he said, that, that he will never leave us, forsake us. Trust in his promises that we sang about this morning, that he will come and save, save us. You see, we make our decisions based upon how we feel. Or our own biases, our own opinions that we get from our culture, or that we get from reading a book, that we get from from TV or from ourselves or from our friends. And in the end, our, our response to the truth of God is the same as Jonah because, in effect, we run away from God. We flee from his presence to the presence of something else that we think can satisfy us, that we think can make us happy. And so like Jonah, we, we disobey God and we run away from what he has said. So Jonah ran away from the presence of the Lord. And and as Jonah rose, he didn't he rose to flee. But the next interesting word is that he went went down. God says Jonah arose. And arose, but he went down. He went down to Joppa. He went into the into going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into the ship to get away from the Lord. And later we'll see that he goes down into the ship again into the, the cargo hold and actually falls asleep, but we'll get there when we get there. Um, but the Lord's response to, to Jonah was that the Lord hurled a great wind. He hurled a storm, a great wind upon the sea as a mighty tempest on the sea so that it threatened to break up the ship. See, Jonah, God was trying to get Jonah's attention. God knew that Jonah was running away. And Jonah knew that God was in control, that God was all-powerful, that God was everywhere. And so God used creation to try to get a hold of Jonah's attention and say, Jonah, come back to me. Come back. Repent. Repent of what you have done. Because what you have done is, is disobedient to me. And it's in, as the Lord hurled this, this great wind, it's an evidence of God's sovereign control and his faithfulness to his promises. That he, he told Jonah just to rise and go, and yet God is slow to anger, merciful, abounding in steadfast love to a guy named Jonah, who even as the storm is raging around him, decides that his way is still better. See, God doesn't need Jonah, but he graciously chooses to use him. And so he sends the storm to get his attention. But Jonah's response isn't much better than it was because as the storm is hurled, that in verse 5 we see that, that Jonah, his response is that he had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. See, rather than rising to obedience, Jonah goes down and falls asleep in his rebellion. You see, one step after another after another leads to a spiritual sleep. Our hearts get harder. As we make our decisions based upon how we feel, as we make our decisions based upon what we think is true, rather than the truth of God's word. 
And so we see the descent of Jonah as he goes down, 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 finally sleeping in the midst of the storm that is raging around, all around him. But the captain comes, and the captain says, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought that you may not perish. The captain comes, and he says, Sleeper, what are you doing sleeping, first of all? Sleeper, arise. What, in, in fact, he's doing is he's calling Jonah to repentance. God says, arise. Jonah went back. The captain says, arise. What are you doing? You are disobeying God. You know what he has said. And you're, yet here you are, sleeping in the bottom of the ship, while the storm is raging around. So they get Jonah out, and in verse 7, they come together and they cast lots that they may know whose account this evil has come upon us. And the lot fell on Jonah. And so they ask Jonah, because they want to know, because they're in danger. They say, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? You can imagine all of these sailors standing around Jonah, just bombarding him with questions as they're getting brained on and blown all over the ship's deck, trying to figure out what in the world's going on. And Jonah's response is very interesting. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. First off, he says, I am a Hebrew. Oftentimes throughout the Old Testament, Hebrews do not call themselves Hebrews. That is used by outsiders, by Gentiles, to refer to the Jews. Um, but something you need to remember is that as he refers to himself as a Hebrew, we need to remember the story of the Old Testament, where God miraculously res rescued his people again and again. One comes to mind, the Exodus, where God miraculously rescued his people from the Egyptians with doing great, miraculous works in nature. And then Israel comes out and they, they walk, walk through the, the wilderness and they, they come to Jericho. And Jericho has heard of the works of God that he did back in, in Egypt. And so as Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, what he's acknowledging is that he is part of that group of people. Part of that group of people who has a God who is has power over creation. And yet here they are, in the midst of the storm, in the sea, with impending death because of the storm. The ship is threatening to break up, and you're in the middle of the ocean, and your, your ship breaks. You don't really have much left at that point. And so Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. And Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord. At the word Lord. The word Lord is in all capitals, which means that in that it is the referring to God's covenantal name, which means I am. And as we recognize that this is God's covenantal name, we need to see two things. One, that 
the word the Lord means I am, which means that God is completely other, that he is holy, that there is nothing or no one like him. And yet in his greatness, God comes to us to make a promise to Adam, to Abraham, to David, to Jeremiah. And he comes down to with us. And in this condescension, God again is gracious and merciful and slow to anger. And so Jonah says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, that he is connected to God. He's connected to this covenantal God who has promised Not only is he the covenant God, but he is also the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And here is here the scope of everything. That God is in heaven. He is the ruler of heaven, and he made the sea and the dry land, and there's not much else besides that. So God is the creator of, of all things, and he has power and control over the winds and the rain and, and the, the waves and the storm. And here we see a little bit of, of God's character that, that nothing is outside of his control, that he is the creator of everything. And we see his, his holiness in the word the Lord. And we see his, his actions towards his people in Jonah claiming to be Hebrew. But the, the one word that I want you to focus on for a few minutes is the word fear. Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, and I, I fear the Lord. And to me, that's kind of ironic, because if you read through the story, you don't get the picture that Jonah really fears the Lord. The word fear can also have a synonym, which is the idea of service or worship. So we could read, I'm a Hebrew, and I serve the Lord. Well, if you serve the Lord, then what are you doing sleeping in the bottom of a ship as you're fleeing from the presence of God? And it's a little ironic that, that Jonah would say that. Yet I want us to think about how we do the same thing. How we do the same thing as Jonah. How we, are we claim to serve God. We come to church on Sunday morning. We claim to serve God. We claim to know God. And yet, what do the actions of our lives look like? You know, sometimes we, we keep our mouth shut when we know that we should be speaking the truth. We know the truth needs to be communicated to someone, whether a believer or unbeliever. And, and what do we do? We, we close our mouth. We claim to be fearing God, but in that situation, we're fearing something else. We're fearing the person. We're fearing being rejected. We're fearing not knowing what the right words are without trusting in God who promised to give us those words in the morning. So are we really serving? Are we really worshiping? Are we really fearing God? Because is God not faithful in the, that, that time? When you feel the, the pressure is not God faithful to provide? 
Or maybe you say, you know, at times, you know, I don't really fear, but I don't know what to say. I don't really, really know the word of God. Well, does that conversation drive you into repentance? Does it drive you back to studying scripture to find an answer, to find a way to address that situation? What is your response when, when you find yourself knowing that you need to speak, but not, not speaking? Aren't, aren't we just like Jonah? He was told to go and speak to the Ninevites, and yet didn't speak at all. And I don't want to, again, to dismiss Jonah because Jonah ran away. Because our heart is both the same, and when, when we don't speak, in effect, what we're doing is running away. By not speaking, we're, we're running away. We're saying the same thing that Jonah said. I hate these people. I want to be God. I don't care about them. And you may say, well, I do really care about them. Well, well your actions aren't revealing the truth, or aren't being influenced by the truth. So what you're really, in effect, saying is, even if you speak, you care about them, is I don't care about you because I don't care that you know the truth, that you repent, that you come to a, a, fir- a better knowledge of God. Actions say the same thing that Jonah said. Or maybe we do say something in those things, but the, the things that we say aren't those that ripple. Maybe someone is going through a difficult time, and we say, well, you know, it's almost over. It'll be okay. You're okay. Just keep persevering, and, and you'll make it through. And in that, what are we doing? We're giving them a false hope. We're saying, your hope is that this difficulty will pass. Rather than taking them to the heart of the issue and saying, look, I know you're going through a rough time, um, but I also see that you're, you're really being dis- distracted by this, this idol that's in your life. You know, you're being distracted by um, uh, by your health right now, or you don't have health. Um, let's let's look at the Bible. Let's talk about this. Let's work through. How can I help you through? How can I pray for you? Instead, we're like, well, it's just a flu. You'll make it through. Trust till the end, and you'll be soon. And what we're doing is we're giving a false hope. We're, we're saying that God will take care of you while we ignore the idol. In effect, what we're doing is, if you remember to last Sunday that Steve preached through the book of Psalm 91, we're saying that God will protect you. God will protect you without recognizing that the, the point of Psalm 91 is that you need protection in Jesus Christ. And that your hope is not that God will protect you apart from Christ, but that your hope is in Jesus Christ. And so we need to speak the truth instead of these, these false hopes. Because we need to hear that the truth of redemption is bigger than the pro- our problems that we face. That it's bigger than our idols. And so as we, as we reflect, we, we must acknowledge that we are very much like Jonah. We say that we fear the Lord. We say that we fear God. 
yet we don't seek her, we seek the wrong thing because we don't really fear God. We don't really know the truth. We don't really know and trust that God is going to be faithful, that God will provide, that God will be merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. this declaration back to the book of Jonah that Jonah makes this declaration of who he is and who his God is even in the irony of it and the response of the sailors was that they were exceedingly afraid the guy just said that he serves God who is maker of the sea and the heavens and the earth and the dry land and and he is the one who has power over all of this, and yet he just says that he is in the presence of God. Of course they're going to be afraid. But their response is, what is, what, is, what is this that you have done? What have you done? You see, Jonah's sin endangered others, but yet we must acknowledge that God is still sovereign. But in their response, the sailors understood, and they saw through the sinful stupidity of Jonah's actions, they saw that Jonah claimed one truth but was living according to another. And they were frustrated with Jonah and upset and asked him, what do we need to do? What shall we do to you to get this storm to go away? And so they respond with, what shall we do? Which is an honest question. And wanna, I want to drive deeper than just what should we do to get this storm to go away? Because if you think about it, every single person in that boat was Jonah. If you think about the storm as being God's wrath and God's judgment towards Jonah because he was disobeying, the sailors also were not excused from God's judgment and God's wrath. They were all in the same boat, literally and figuratively. If you look back, we kind of skipped over this, but um, back when the storm was happening and going on around, the, the, they called out to their own gods. In verse 5, it says, The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own god. And they were hurling cargo, trying to get calling out to their own god in, in idolatry, in effect saying they did not know God. And because they did not know God, because Jonah was claimed, every single one of them in that boat deserved for God's wrath to absorb them and for them to perish in that moment. But they called out, what shall we do? Which is interestingly a characteristic question of unbelievers. That What shall we do? We've come in contact with God. We understand who he is. What do we do now? And it's characteristic of unbelievers when God is moving in their lives. And a better question to ask, or that they, that could, that question could be interpreted is, how can we escape God's judgment? You see, I think they recognize, because of Jonah's rebellion, that the storm was an evidence of God's presence. And so their question is, how can we escape God's And the response of Jonah is interesting, and we're going to come back to this um, in a little bit. 
the donor's response says, verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. And so, what does Jonah say? Well, here's my last chance. Throw me overboard and kill me. My last chance to rebel against God, which we know won't actually come to fruition because of the rest of the story of Jesus. God is so gracious, working in Jonah in spite of himself. But even in Jonah's unrepentance, what Jonah is also asking to do is to be sacrificed. See, in order to satisfy God's wrath, Jonah needed to be sacrificed. Again, we're going to come back to this to kind of dive into it a little bit. But in order to escape from God's judgment, there must be a mediator. There must be someone to come between, to give himself, to sacrifice, to satisfy God's wrath. Again, everyone on that boat deserves to die. And so Jonah says, sacrifice me, and God will be satisfied, and you will be saved. What's the response of Jonah? Nevertheless, verse 13, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. The men rowed hard. Jonah just told them the way of salvation. Screw me, throw me overboard, sacrifice me, and you will be saved from God's wrath. And what do they do? The same thing that we do. They rode hard. They thought, you know, this can't be true. I know I can save myself. I can, I, if, I just, if I just do a, a little better, then, then God will that'll save me. Or maybe we recognize that, that we're sinful and we recognize that we have failed and we understand that we have forgiveness in Christ. But so often we, we find that our obedience must come from our own strength rather than recognizing that any obedience, any good thing that we have alone comes from God's grace. You see, we're just like the sailors so often. But God says, this is the way of the gospel. Through Jesus Christ, you know, it reminds me of, of Paul in Romans 7 that says, I, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I know that I ought to do, and what shall set me free from, from this, this body of sin and death? What shall be free from God's He doesn't say, well, if I, if I uh, go ahead and try again, try a little harder, then, then you know, then I'll, I'll escape God's wrath. It is Jesus Christ, thanks be to God in Jesus Christ, my Savior. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And yet so often, we don't really understand God's grace. And when we say, just like Jonah, that we have a better way, or just like the, the sailors, we have a better way, we're going we're gonna to row. No, we're not going to trust in you. We're going to row to save. But you see, God couldn't let them do that. And so what did God do? As the men rowed to get back to dry land, they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. See, God knew that there was only one way of salvation, which was through a sacrifice. 
it's not through our own works. It's not through rowing harder. It's through a sacrifice. There must be a substitutionary sacrifice. And so after rowing for a little bit, they came to the realization that, you know, I think God's done it. There's nothing we can do to escape the wrath of this sin. There's nothing we can do to escape what he has done. Except for a sacrifice of blood. And so they called out to the Lord with such entreaty because here we have sailors, unbelievers, they were doing is they were asking they were calling to God to escape what he had promised they would do. Jonah told them to throw him overboard and they would be saved and, and few words that that God is the creator of everything and that they will be saved if they throw him overboard. And here we're saying that the very God be faithful to you. We are a trusting don't hold it against us that we're going to sacrifice because this is what Trust in God. In God's faithfulness to his promises. You see, they were trusting in God because God, they knew that God was a covenant maker and he was a covenant keeper. That as the two blessings we talked about earlier, that the Abrahamic blessing, that God promised that the truth of, of God would go forth, the gospel would go forth to all nations, that all nations will be blessed because of them. God's fulfilling that right here. In Genesis 3.15, that, that there will be a redeemer who will come, and Jonah's not a very good redeemer, but he's a trustworthy one. And again, the promise of redemption is being fulfilled in these sailors, who are, face, again, facing that wrath, about to sacrifice Jonah to, to the Lord for them. And so they, they pick Jonah up and they throw Jonah into the sea. And what does the sea do? As they throw Jonah into the sea, um, verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him, again, hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. The wrath of God had been appeased. And the, the response of these men is that they feared the Lord exceedingly. Not just that they claimed to fear the Lord like Jonah, but that they feared the Lord, which was evidenced in their actions, which were they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You see, the, the response that these mariners that these sailors had to the to the truth of God that they had just escaped the wrath of God was that they fell down on their face and they worshipped. 
not only did they worship, but their lives were clean. They sacrificed. They made vows that probably affected them for the rest of their, their lives. Their lives were changed because of the truth. In response to the truth of the gospel. And so as we've looked at these few characters this morning, I want to go back and, and try to understand a little more what we call Christological looking forward to Jesus Christ. So I kind of touched on it a little bit at the, the very end. You see, we are all in the boat with Jonah. We're all in that boat. We all served other gods. Both the sailors served other gods. Jonah was, in effect, serving another god. And we serve other gods. And, and we are facing God's judgment and God's wrath. You see, like Jonah, we, we hate you may not think, well, I don't hate people. Well, are you angry with people? Do you hate people? Or we refuse to speak the truth? Or sometimes we think that we know better than God, so we make our decisions based upon what we think is best. Ignoring God's word. Refusing to trust in God's covenant or his promises, his faithfulness. Refusing to conform our lives and thoughts to God's word. And yet, as we are in this boat with the sailors, that there is a way out. And Jonah, who was a picture of redemption, Jonah was to be a prophet and a priest for these unbelievers. And yet, in spite of Jonah's rebellion, God used him for his redemptive purposes to save these sailors. There is a more perfect, a perfect, perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jonah is just a picture of what that Redeemer would come and do. As Jonah was guilty, Jesus Christ was not. And yet Jesus Christ was thrown overboard and into the wrath of God, absorbing that wrath of God so that we can escape peace. You know, the book of Hebrews talks about Jesus talks about Jesus Christ being both the priest and the sacrifice. And Jesus innocently absorbed the wrath that we deserve for being like Jonah. And for being like the sailors. And so our call this morning is, is not to, well, don't be like Jonah. Or be like the sailors. Our call is not to try harder. Our call is to trust God in his faithfulness. Trust God in his faithfulness to provide redemption for us. Trust God in his grace to grow us and change us. To respond like the sailors in worship, knowing who God is, and responding in light of that truth, sacrificing, living your lives in obedience. Again, not because we have the strength to accomplish anything, but because God has already accomplished it.
do worshipers know and trust in God's faithful promises? And God has promised a redeemer. And so let us trust in God's provision to provide a redeemer for us. And may our lives be changed by this truth, and may, may God work in us as we meditate on the truth that our lives will be changed and we go out and that we proclaim the truth to our enemies. We proclaim our truth not doing this in our own strength. Doing this because we recognize that it's built on the truth of God's word. That God has provided all we need. That God has provided redemption for our souls. God, we thank you so much this morning for your word. We thank you for the story of Jonah, which gives us a picture of redemption, which gives us a picture of the law of who we are as we have just like Jonah rebelled against you Um, but even in our rebellion that there is such great hope that Jesus Christ would come and be our savior for us and so we thank you so much for what you have done and what you have promised and in your son's name we pray